This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chale. That's mintmobile.com slash chale. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chale. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday. 
and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome you know guys uncle chael made headlines this week more on that in a moment also coming up on today's show john jones was nominated by me for an sp but i've not yet decided if he's going to win and it's got a few people upset plus i got a brilliant idea for michael chandler and kevin lee and sean strickland who by the way are back in action this weekend all right guys i'm gonna get all of that later Right now, I want to start the show by discussing the topic that has dominated social media this week. So, I go on Ariel's show yesterday, and we're live. And prior to the show, Ariel sends out a tweet. And I like this about Ariel's format, and I'm wondering if I should be doing that over here, which is to go live. He breaks his show into segments the same as I bring to you, but he does the initial piece live. Just a, just a little thought. I'd, I'd love your comments on that. And Ariel knows who his guests are going to be. And Ariel's not afraid on a Monday. To, he's not afraid to go six hours. He's done that. That's, that's routine. He will never not go four hours. I mean, it's, it's a big part of your day. Ariel is a institution within MMA. I know a number of people, in fact, if I was to put this into a number, this would be a guess, but if I was to put it into a number, between one championship, Bellator MMA, and the Ultimate Fighting Championship, I would I would estimate all combined, 30% of the staff watches Ariel live every Monday. It's a big deal, and he, but he puts his guests out. He does this on social media. I'm one of his guests. He always tries to get the winner of the main event from over the weekend, in this case was Ilya Tapur. That was one of his guests. I know Tatiana Suarez was on there. Little lineup, Uncle Chael. So that gets put out to the world. I get a call right away, right? It gets put out that I'm going on Ariel's show. I get a call, and there's not a big buffer in there. That could be an hour, but but before that goes out and the show actually goes live, I'm guessing. But it's there's not a big buffer, and somewhere within that time, I get a phone call, and it's Mark Zuckerberg, who says. I see you're going on Ariel's show. I am going to be fighting this thing with Elon, the date for it, which is the only thing that we don't have. We've got the two guys, and we know where we're going to fight. The only thing that we don't have is the win. I'm adding some words. This was verbatim, but they're going to do it at UFC 300, and he's given me the info so that I can come on Ariel's show, which is a big show, and break it. And I, I keep telling you the size of Ariel's show and how well that Ariel does things. Because that added to the validity. That added to the validity that if you were coming over to this sport and you were trying to do it in a respectful manner, which is what I feel Zuckerberg has done. See, everything is different for Zuck. Everything. As soon as he entered the grappling tournament and didn't tell anyone ahead of time, he made no special rules, no special weight, no special anything. He agreed to follow the rules of the event, which says you take on whoever else happens to show up that day. An announcer that you don't even know will call you to a mat and you will walk to the mat. And you will commence combat. He did that. I mean, that puts him into a different category. But how respectful. And very few guys do do that. I can tell you other stories and guys just don't do that. They just don't. They manipulate it. They change it. They put in a special rule. They change the time. They'll do the match, but only in the back room. I mean, it just starts to get really weird. It's very uncommon, 
and it's an extremely respectful, right? You hear that word tied to martial arts all the time, but the way Zuck handled it was perfect. And it's the way all of you would have handled it. It was a regular man move, which would make sense even though he could get the biggest media that he wants. He'd get any media that he would then come and do it the way that our fights get announced, which is through Ariel live on a Monday. This goes in line in my mind. I am also well aware that more likely than not, I'm being catfished. However, somebody does that. Whatever you do. I mean, Arrow was talking like it was AI, and they tied Zuckerberg's voice. And I mean, I guess they could. I, I never spoke to Zuckerberg on the phone. I mean, my buddy could call up with a handkerchief over the phone like Bo Duke used to do. When he didn't know, I want Roscoe Pico trained to know it was him. And I, I, I wouldn't know the difference. It was very quick. I wouldn't do that to somebody. I wouldn't I wouldn't call and say I was somebody else. So, okay, fine. Maybe I would believe it. But I, I don't want to look like a fool in front of you guys. I have a level of credibility. So I told Ariel this. You know, hey, could be getting catfished. But here's what's going on. And a bigger story here, guys. For me. For me. I'm just personalizing this. Tell me about my day. But. I didn't reveal anything. I made a claim. I had a phone call from somebody that said they were Zuck. I wasn't sure it was. But I had no problem playing along and repeating what was said because there wasn't anything said. We've got a date. We're going to fight UFC 300. That was my big news. And my, 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 my news is just to repeat what had already been put out. In fact, the first time I saw that, I believe it was Michael Kies. I want to give credit to the right guy. I believe it was Michael Kies two days prior had said, hey, if you guys are going to do this, here's the date. Here's the time. Come do UFC 300. The reason I'm sharing that is, throw out a word, catfish. Zuck called me. I got pranked. I'm a fool. It, I mean, th throw it out any way that you want. What difference does it make? What difference does it make if Zuck called me or one of you pranked me? What difference does it make? It supported the idea that he had. So why... Did Zuck and his team tell TMZ that he did not call me? Why? What, what difference would it make? And as I ask you that with a tone of confusion, there could be an answer. There could be something out there that we don't know, guys, where CEOs under the rules possibly even regulated by the SEC, can't do and say public things. If that were a rule, if there is a rule against board members, leadership, executives, however it gets worded that would encompass these two positions, 
If there was a rule about the way that they would conduct themselves to other people in that position, for sure violence would be included. Can we, can we just assume that? And this is the very real thing. If you guys haven't heard of this, I can personalize real estate here in the state of Oregon. You cannot use bad language, which would be what you guys would think of as a four-letter word. You cannot use that one realtor to another. But then if you're in the presence of people that are not realtors, but you are, you cannot verbally disparage a fellow realtor or their business practices. You cannot do that. Even if they're a crook, you can't say they are. There's a way, there's a way that we do that we do that through the real estate board. We don't do that within public. You ever thought, oh, all these realtors are so nice and they're so nice to each other? Well, a lot of truth to that. I had a good experience too. But there's a rule behind it. You guys might not have known that. And so it's it's not out of the realm of realisticness for me to think that somebody stepped in to say, hey, you and Elon under this clock cannot come out and do these things. So therefore, you're called a jail or jail's assessment of your call or jail's silly claim, Chael's a fool, of your call needs to be corrected. And they did that. They told TMZ that he didn't call. But they didn't tell TMZ what difference does it make. I didn't make a claim that he said something about his mama. I didn't make a claim that he was putting up X amount of money. I didn't make a claim that he was giving tickets away. I didn't make any kind of a claim at all that would put him in a position where he needed to come out and push back at all. We were told that he accepted a challenge over the weekend. That was Saturday. That was a day called Saturday. And he didn't go to TMZ and say that didn't happen. By the way, so I said that he told me that it was going to happen. The same thing. I said the same thing, and he wanted that corrected. Now, if there's a rule and they can't talk to each other in a certain way and it just happens to be above our simple, our simpleton minds over here, we would have to give him that, and we'd have to lay out at that. So if it's that, Whatever comes out of my mouth next, I would be in the wrong. That would be very reasonable. But it'd also be reasonable to tell TMZ, I'm correcting this statement through sources. This isn't me calling. I'm going to have somebody else call you to tell you that I didn't make a call. Well, that, that's, that's hearsay at this point. And that's a weird thing to do. I'm saying Zuck called me. I'm saying I can prove it on my phone. That's a big claim by me. That's a big, big claim by me. He's saying that he didn't. Well, no, no, he didn't say he didn't. He had somebody else say that he didn't. Well, now, now you got hearsay. And it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit weird. You want, guys want to know why it's weird? You want to know what I'm holding back? I think he called. That's what I'm holding back. I think him running this back and saying I didn't call, I think that's the part of this whole story that's BS. I think he called. I don't think it was catfish. I never thought it was a catfish. I don't think my phone right now that shows 
who called is wrong. I think if it was a prank, if you want to go even further with this world of speculation, that's all that we have. I don't know that you could convince a jury, but you will be our jury. Let's see what you think. I don't think somebody would prank me to get a Zoom link to Ariel's show, which is what he did, where they could come on live and then not use it. I mean, that would seem like a very elaborate plan that would have a payoff for the huckster, which is they pop on on the Zoom link and they got their pants, they're showing us the moon, right? You guys know that, the moon where somebody shows you their butt. They'd have had us, that would have been great, but they didn't do that. They didn't do anything like that. They didn't say anything weird. They didn't sound weird. They didn't make a claim that was weird. And when I reaccounted the story, neither did I. It was really simple. So what part through hearsay, right? You got to understand, I said that he called. He didn't say he hasn't called. He had somebody else say that he hasn't called. That's weird to me. It's weird to me. If you guys saw the interview with Ariel, I was very, very supportive. And I was very defensive of Zuck. Other people in the sport have teased him. Fighters who were signed have teased and begrudged the idea of him multiple times. I never did. I never have. I like Mikey. I think it was a good hire. I thought it was really cool how he did the jujitsu thing. And I think he wants to answer for the challenge that was issued. These are all things that I respect, which I said. But somebody wants to take back that that happened. So what part of it are they taking back? Was it me? Is this personal? Is this me? Was that I was talking to Ariel and it's something personal about him and you didn't want it revealed through his show? Was it the challenge and the sport that was agreed to two days prior? What, what part of this did you not like? What part of it did you think was wise to take back and leave me to potentially look like a fool thinking that you weren't going to get paid back for that? Somewhere along the way, someone in an office thought they should call and say that they speak for him to TMZ a third arm and deny that the call happened. Why? What difference does it make? Henry Cejudo, who has turned out to be one heck of a coach. Oh my goodness. Almost shocking. You know, they do an award for that at the end of the year. They do a coach of the year and they didn't nominate him and they didn't even consider him. And that was largely because that's not how people view him. They think of Henry as a fighter, and he is. They think of him as maybe the best fighter alive in more than one weight class, and he is. So it's very hard for people to view him as a coach, but if you go and look at the corners that he sits in, you go and look at the athletes that sought and continue to seek him out, it's unbelievable. It is Teddy Atlas, Freddie Roach-esque, and they had generations. Henry got involved during COVID. Three years, Henry's been coaching. 
My clothes? If you ever, as a coach, if you ever get a fighter that fights for the championship, there, there won't be any more discussed. Oh, yeah, what weight class and what year was it and how'd you prepare? Who'd you have to beat to be the number one contender? What did the such and such look like? None, none, none. It's all, it's all forgotten history. You're a trainer and you got a guy to the championship fight. You will be viewed by other trainers different. You'll be viewed with a tremendous respect. They'll talk about you behind your back. You're over in the corner you're at a social event. They'll point to you. Hey, you know this guy? Yeah, he took a guy all the way to a title fight. Like, that's how that works. Oh, and by the way, there's not a lot of those conversations going around. There are not very many people who have done it. Now I'm talking about the in the course of your career. I'm not even talking about winning the championship, guys. If you get a guy to that spot, you will go into the highest echelon of trainer. The guys that got championships don't go in front of you. It's the same category. I mean, I'm just sharing with you how our, how our industry works and how this is viewed. So it could have been very possible for Henry to get in this to do a really good job. He could have opened a gym, a thriving, done a good job of the marketing, brought the uh, right people in, sustained for 25 or 30 years till he moves on in life. He could have done that. But it's not what he did do. He, in his first year, had a world champion. I've lost her. This is off the top of my head. I know Yuri Prohaska sought Henry out. Most of you are going to say that he went and trained with him. I actually think there was a, a swerve in that story. I think that Prohaska had it planned and something happened at the airport where he couldn't. I don't, I don't know that Prohaska came. Wei Lee did champion of the world. Likely will be champion of the world again likely to be with Henry. Davidson Figueredo, champion of the world. John Jones, a retired champion of the world who reclaimed a world championship and credited Henry. Henry got into a back and forth with McGregor online and Henry was attempting to condescend to him, but he was condescending to him by giving him advice. The advice was incredible. I remember reading it. He was so good at this. And I say that because there are different opinions, right? Some people have the right to an opinion. You want to know where I got that term? Chuck Liddell had done an interview, and people didn't like it. People were pushing back. I can't believe you said it. I think it had to do with the leg kicks and the way those were scored and judges look at it. I digress on that. The point is, it was an unpopular opinion. So they came back to Chuck after some backlash. And Chuck said, I earned the right to my opinion. It was just a powerful statement. Yeah, you did. You sure did. And nobody ever teased that statement again. I just remember. So you'll hear me coining that sometimes. Let me credit that to the Iceman. But Henry came out and he was speaking about Uriah Rodriguez. And he said, I think Uriah can be a much tougher fight than Islam for Volk. So he's talking about the styles. He's not making a broad statement of this is a much tougher fighter, which he, which he may believe. I'm just sharing with you. That isn't the context. He said a much tougher fight. And see, I see it that same way. There is most certainly a chance that Volkanovsky, Volkanovsky's, 
wins every single round. For sure. But there's a less seen chance that Rodriguez gives him problems in certain positions. And, you know, you got to understand and fight as much as you like it, as much as you watch it, go back and forth about how great these legs are. There's only a few positions, guys. You're either in front of each other on your feet not touching. You're on your feet and you are touching. You're in the open. You're against the fence. You're on the top. You're on the bottom. Like, there's, there's not as much to this sport as you think. I got a black belt and I trained here and I went over to Thailand. If you're on your feet, are you not touching or are you touching? Are you against the fence or are you in the open? If you're on the ground, are you in this position? Are you in this position? Like, there's not that much to this sport. And if Rodriguez can create a problem in one or two of those positions that can spur Volkanovsky to avoid going back to those positions, and that in and of itself changes the fight. And that is very possible, and we don't have accurate information. We don't have accurate information because Jurir Rodriguez played a game strategically. He played a game with the world, and he won. Look, you guys don't know Jurir. I don't say that to condescend to you. I said so I can share something with you. There's guys you don't mess with in real life. I can. I'll mess with them. I, you, you don't mess with Jurir is one of them. That's a straight-up badass in real life. But he's coming to this sport. I think he's a three to one dog to Volkanovsky right now. It's over at DraftKings. I don't think that ever moved. I think the day it opened, it was three. At one point, it went to three and a half, then it dropped to two and three quarters, and it's back at three. That stats of four hours ago. Uriah Rodriguez is the champion of the world. Uriah Rodriguez has a common opponent. You guys like to tell me MMA math doesn't work? MMA math works all the time. There is, in fact, no better paradigm you can have than MMA math, which means common opponents. It works in all sports. It's not foolproof. It works all the time. Coaches telling their athletes it does that, that's to boost some sunshine in a guy's ass who's about to fight someone that destroyed a guy that he already got destroyed by. So the coach tells oh, it's styles that make fights. You ever heard that expression? <laughs> styles that make fights. Idiots. My point is this, Rodriguez is a three-to-one dog. Rodriguez is the champion of the world. Volkanovski, right, we, we decide our divisions, we decide our champions. First and foremost, predicated on gender. Second, on weight. Volkanovski's looking at 55. Yarir's laser-focused at 45. Yarir Rodriguez is the champion of the world right now. Not he was. Not can he get back to it right now, and they have a common opponent recent. In recent times, they both ended up there, Brian Ortega. And one was a long, drawn-out war. War. The great fights to ever be put on, and the other was done in the first minute with an injury sustained to the fact that Rod... Uh, Brian Ortega hasn't even competed since. When I tell you that we don't have the accurate information, Brian Ortega has not competed since. He's not booked. He's not in the media. He's not getting called out. He's not calling guys out. There's something going on. But nobody ever looked into that. That submission, as far as the pundits of MMA, didn't happen. And that carries all the way up to the great Ariel Hawani. It didn't happen. It was a fluke. 
Ortega was, he hurt his arm in the course of a fight, so they stopped the fight. It had nothing to do with your ear. That's the way this story is told. I have no idea who was on the call that night that misinformed the world so poorly. They went to the ground, known as guard. Have you heard of it? There was an armbar attempt put up by Rodriguez on one of the most celebrated Gracie Jiu-Jitsu practitioners to ever compete. When that attempt for the armbar was over, there was an injury sustained to the arm that stopped the fight from continuing. Ortega said the word to the referee. I would imagine he said the word tap. He might have said the word stop. Whatever what he said the word to the referee. So if you're watching it, see, this matters. If you're watching it on camera and you don't see the tap, you don't see the referee step, you don't see a towel come over, right? You don't see some of these things that are common. There was a little bit of confusion. And people were very happy to say it wasn't called a submission. It was as though that fight got stopped due to an injury that had been sustained. Right? I can't even say the words because it's, it's not what happened. It's not true. Rodriguez was in guard. He spun to an armbar. Ortega defended the armbar. When he was done defending, simultaneously, not a minute later, not even a second later, simultaneously, when he stopped defending it, an injury to the arm had occurred. And it's an injury so severe that Ortega hasn't come back. I'm just sharing this for you because that's not the way the story is being told. And the one whose job it is to correct it told his team told his mother, told his friends, don't say anything. Let that story go. It was a calculated plan by Rodriguez, years in the making to go under the radar. They have a common opponent recent. One went 25 minutes, one didn't go five. I'm, I'm just sharing. You, you can't give me an example like that. No matter how much you don't like that example, and I'm a man, you don't, you don't agree with me on the other part. Fair enough. But you can't give me an example where that scenario's happened, and then when those two guys meet up that have the common opponent, those two guys meet up, it's a three-to-one spread. You can't do it. This is a first. It is extremely common to the point that it's more common than not. When somebody has a great performance, their next one isn't. If you went back, I've never done this. But if you did, I'm very confident. If you went back and looked at people that fought for the title and didn't win it, but their next fight, right? They were convinced they were the next best thing. And there's this one guy they can't beat, but they're convinced. They believe it. That number one contender. They read it enough times. They can beat everybody else in the division. They had problems with this guy, but I can beat everybody else. So when you give them to somebody else, guys that return after a loss in a title fight do not win. And I, I'm only talking about a greater percentage, right? Over 50%. If you were to run back, go back and run that stat, they underperform in their next match. They think everything's going to go well. They're used to it going well. The hype, the allure, the seduction, they marked out for their own gimmick. These are very natural things. These are human beings. They're psychological things that happen. And I'll share for you, after somebody has a wonderful performance, they uh, their next one generally is not. And that's the spot that Volk's in. Folk's a rare athlete. Volk is a rare competitor. Volk is a rare talent. I'm down to Volk and Chandler as my favorite fight. I'm going to have to make a decision here. right? So this is coming from a believer, but 
I'm being a historian right now. So Volk just had a wonderful performance. I would argue his best. And for many, many athletes, your, your best performance will come in defeat. I think that that is where Volk's at. I expect him to perform not as well. Now, Volk's put a gap between himself and the competition. That's what three to one represents. Three to one means that Uriah can have a wonderful night and Volk cannot and still win. And the real greats can do that. The real greats can have a bad night and still win. So I'm, I'm not taking the outcome away from Volkanovsky, but I am trying to tell this story the way that it happened because Henry Cejudo believes that Rodriguez could be a harder fight than Islam. And there most definitely is positions. These guys are very different. You go ask any real hardcore fan about Rodriguez, they're going to tell you how dangerous and how tricky he is on his feet. He has no known jiu-jitsu competitions. He never pursued an Abu Dhabi, just by example. But he has also no known competitions. If he did something in a small gym or something along these, I, I, I never heard of it. <clears throat> he has no wrestling background. He won his last fight by submission. He won the fight before that by submission, too. Both guys were black belts that he put away on the ground. I'm just sharing for you. The story of Yuri Rodriguez is so clouded and it's so missed and Henry Cejudo is so incredibly correct. And this is all puppetry. This is all strings being pulled by Rodriguez himself. Here's the headline, guys. Michael Chandler's 37 years old. Is waiting around for Conor McGregor a good idea? There's the headline. Okay, I got you to the end. Now let's start on first base. I approach this from a perspective, okay? Because there's two things. There's two things, but only one seems to be obvious. And the one thing is that Red Panty Night is a real thing still. It's important that you know that. Because everyone's sun will set. All of them. Joe Montana, who I believe to be the best. We can go ahead and have a debate. I believe to be the best. But I will acknowledge cannot sell out Soldier Field today. What do you think about that? And do you understand that while Hollywood has big stars such as Robert De Niro, you're not guaranteed a box office smash today, absent of him playing in a mobster movie. We understand how things turn and things change. Red Panty Night is still, see, that's the key word, still a thing. So if you're Michael Chandler spot, you would like attention and you would like money. You would like a prize for your competition. And sometimes that prize is more pats on the back, more acknowledgement, more money, more people recognizing you, more people commenting to you through the internet. Sometimes that's the prize, and, and to each his own, I would fully understand it from the perspective that I just laid out for Michael Chandler. So you wait, if you gotta wait. If 
and these are Michael's words, if you need to practice patience, you practice patience. Now, that's true, and that's obvious, and that's in front of us. What if you came from our perspective, okay, which is less obvious, because see, all of those things make sense, and all of those things are great, and this story ends with everybody exhaling. Everybody gets it when the story's in, as long as the match takes place. It does, that part doesn't matter if it's this Saturday or 200 Saturdays from now. It doesn't matter if it happens before the fight with Usada or with avoiding the fight completely. If that day comes, everybody sits back and they got it right. But what if it doesn't come? What if it doesn't come? What if Red Panda Night doesn't come? What if those pats on the back don't come? The training camp did. The time from home did. The hard work. The getting out there and doing the rounds of the media. You did all of those things, but the prize, the pat on the back, the being told good job, the congratulations, the roar of the crowd, these things that all mean something. What if they don't come? So isn't there a way to do both? Isn't there a way to tell the world I am Conor McGregor's next fight, for sure, with no excuse. I will change weight classes. I will go to any country. I will fight under any rule set, whether that's unified, ABC, or New Jersey. A lot of you guys aren't going to know the difference there. But I don't know for sure that he's my next fight. Because he's killing a lot of time and he's kicking a lot of rocks. I'm getting called out by some pretty good names such as John and Doe and Susie and Q. And I'm thinking I'm going to take one as preparation as part of my training camp as I get ready for Conor McGregor. I don't understand how you would get beat on that. I don't understand. I, I do understand where if you're going in a direction and you take your troops over here, I do see where that's a problem. But nobody agrees with me. I mean, my, my, my great example would be Charles Oliveira, who beat Benny DeRouche, became a number one contender. We've got the opponent. We've got the venue. We've got the date. He then takes to his social media and tells the world he's fighting somebody else. In my organization, with my belt and my money, and you do that to me, you're not fighting this guy anymore. Once you went and you tried to confuse the market, and you told them that what I told them isn't true, I'm going to make you right. It's no longer true. That's how Chael's going to do it. But that isn't the way that it's done. Chael's alone. Chael's by himself. So why would it be any different for Michael Chandler? Why, if Connor's next fight is supposed to be Chandler, does Chandler's next fight have to be Connor? It doesn't. Why, if Chandler goes in a different direction and starts something with somebody else, takes to his social media, takes to Twitter, and tells the world he's going to fight somebody else, why can he not also be fighting Connor McGregor? And I'm just asking the question. I think that it's an interesting spot. I think it's a hard spot. And none of these things matter. If the match takes place, you have a 37-year-old who's training, who's working hard, who's doing the meetup, but he eventually gets the match. 
All of this becomes a mute point. I'm coming from a different perspective. I'm coming from hedging the bet, which isn't something I normally do. I would normally would take the risk. I would play it exactly the way Chandler's playing it. That's the truth. But I'm playing devil's advocate over here, and I'm just making a discussion. I'm trying to have a conversation for you, and I'm trying, as I play these things through in my head, right? This whole thing is a game of chess. And if you play it checkers, one move at a time, you know who those guys are. They they open the card. The doors open at 3, three o'clock, and the first fight's at 3.30. Okay, the guys that play it like that, they'll be fighting at 3.30. The main event guys don't even leave their hotel Till 10 o'clock Eastern. They don't get their hands wrapped up and stand up to warm up until almost midnight. I'm speaking for those guys. How? What would they say? What roadblock? What's going to come up? What Connor's next fight has to be against Chandler. That's the story. That's the narrative. Let's not change that. Let's keep that in there. Chandler's next fight doesn't have to be against McGregor. Now, you can't come out with that. That right there is a nothing burger, and you just got in your own way. You have to be able to answer the question when you come out. You have to say who it's going to be against, specifically what way, right? You got to have the five W's, who, what, when, why, and where. We're not there yet. But I don't know that we have to put all of our eggs into one basket and make it very clear that that basket is being held in Dublin. I'm, I'm not sure that we have to do that. And... If it was just up to Connor, see, Connor treats the media a certain way and he shows the audience because he's an entertainer, but he doesn't treat the boys that way. And I'm just sharing for you. If you really wanted to get down to this, Connor's very straight when it's with the boys. And Chandler could have a representative or Chandler himself and get a hold of Connor privately, quite that no one ever hears about. Say, hey, man, are we doing this? The problem with that, and Connor, be straight with you, the problem is. If the information we're being given is so, then there's things outside of Connor's control. If Connor says yes, we're absolutely doing a great win. Well, I I, I don't know, Michael. I don't I don't book venues. Well, when are you free? Well, I'm I'm free February second. Okay, I'm looking at my calendar. February second's a Tuesday. We don't do fights on Tuesday. Well, I, again, I just told you it's it's a little bit outside of my control. Okay, hey man, is this? I'm seeing stuff, stuff on court, and TMZ was involved. Is that going to affect your fight? Uh, not for me, but it might for other people. Okay, great. Hey, is something about the pool and your, your paperwork issue? Is that going to hold us up? Well, I'll do it. I'm okay with it, but they're saying something. I mean, do you see where this? It gets to be a mess, and getting accurate information starts to be really hard. And looking as though you're the one getting ordered around starts to be a very helpful and beneficial thing for the one doing the ordering around. It's all perception. It's just how you look. As I play certain sequences through in my head, I can find the roadblock. And sometimes they're not the first step. Sometimes it's the second and third step down the road. But I haven't found it on this one yet. Connor's next fight is said to be against Chandler. That's going to be true. But Chandler is not guaranteeing us his next fight is against Connor. I don't see where coming public with that statement is going to nullify your match with Connor. But it's a game of chess. Sometimes even the greats miss a move. So if I'm wrong, Tell me where.
There's some pushback on John Jones being nominated for an SB. And I got to tell you, like, because there's things that are called a standard of an industry, right? It's, there's an industry expectation and an inter industry precedence, and there's an industry prestige in all industries. In sport, SB is king. So to be nominated really is a great honor. And John gets nominated. Daniel Cormier spoke on this. Many people have spoke on this. Most recent was Daniel. And Daniel said, no, I don't think he should be there. Make sure that you understand how SB works. It's, it's for a year. So by example, you'd have a 2022 SB, which would lead you to believe. Now, there's not an actual criteria. Guys, you got to hear me out on this. There's not an actual criteria that's posted that I had the ability to find, and I work for the company. But when it's called 2022, we, the audience, assume it means for the work done in 2022. 22. And by the way, whatever that calendar year is, however that calendar year works, this might be the 2023 and they're already starting. I mean, John Jones fought in March of this year. Don't think you have to correct me on the details. I'm just trying to make a point that there is some things that us as the audience assume. And I bring that to you because I'll use an example of football with the flags. Right? I mean, you see how they do that? They get to a football game. Hey, we need a flag guy. You raise your hand and no one else, they'll put you in. The, the ball goes down and you move, I'm trying to say the chain, not the flag. You move the chain and for sure it's off. For sure you're not right. How would you be? Right by what? Right by a foot, by an inch, by a guesstimate, by a centimeter? No, of course you're not right. But you move the chain, you get an honest guy. The number one thing that you want in any kind of officiating or judging of sport is consistency, even in front of being right. If they're consistent, they'll do uh, two points when it should have been three, but they'll go two points if the other team does it as well instead of three, just by example. And the theory works. Over the course of a game, where, yeah, I, I admit we're up, but we're getting close, but, but then we're going to do it for the other team, where, yeah, we're going to get close. Over the course of the game, it works out. There's a reason. I mean, there's never been a protest on the chains. For you non-football fans, you'll be thinking, gosh, he must have said something wrong there. No, no, it's no more specific than that. Even with instant replay and everything else, wherever they put the chain and push it down, that becomes the official mark. And I just share with you that at least in theory over time, and there hasn't been a pushback. There hasn't been a pushback because it does work. Now, where am I going with this? John Jones has been slighted before. That's where I'm going with this. John Jones has been overlooked before, particularly when it was somebody else's opinion. When the outcome is going to come down to John Jones taking his shirt off and going mano a mano, he handles it and he doesn't leave you any room. But there has been times within public opinion he has been slighted. I really do feel that way. I, I think I'm one of John's most notable critics, but I do feel an integrity to tell a story the way that it happened. And I'll just give you a great example. John Jones was ranked number one, pound for pound. He was ranked number one. He didn't lose. 
Nobody beat him. And rankings came out one Tuesday at 9 a.m. and Khabib was ranked one. John was down to two. And John fought for himself. John came out and fought that ranking and that publication more with more energy, more vigor, and more passion than he has ever promoted a fight. And I appreciated it. I gained a respect, in fact. That's a big word to use. Not respect, by the way, that's a broad, but uh, respect. Because I saw that it matters to him, and I didn't know if it did. John Jones is a lot like the character in Goodwill Hunting that he could just play. He could, he could walk in and he could just do it. And if you have a skill like that, I don't. You guys probably don't either at anything. But I've seen what appears to be people taking it for granted. And when John fought Khabib head to head, did not care about the backlash, did not care that this was the most popular Muslim athlete alive. Didn't care. He was, he was good. He did not lose. He was ranked number one. He did not get beat. And John's argument, while John not being as liked as Khabib, which is why it went to Khabib, John's argument should have held up. He was ranked number one and he didn't get beat. You didn't put Khabib at number one, except for the reason that he has to be. Do you guys remember this? Maybe I'm taking some things for granted. Khabib beats Justin Gaethje. He retires. 29-0. We think he's going to 30. 29. Spend time with mom. Spend time with the family. I mean, he's out. And he says, guys, I've never had this. I have a lot of experiences and I achieved a lot of goals, but I've never been ranked number one pound for pound. Please rank me number one. This week, right now, this is the only opportunity you have to do it based on what I just showed you here. And the reason that statement was so true is because he retired. Nobody, nobody gets to retire and then take a higher ranking. So Khabib laid his case out, which was actually to just be polite and ask for it, but they actually did it. And John said, man, hey, the way this works. John was right. John was a million percent right. And I, I, I don't begrudge that one moment. I offer you that moment because I think it's one that you would remember and I also feel that that one moment is symbolic of several moments in John's career where the only way to beat him was the power of the pin. We put every badass we could find in front of him. We just couldn't get it done. We couldn't even get it to the judges to screw him over. Am I right? When you talk about somebody not being popular, there's nothing more unfair in life than people judging people. There's nothing to create controversy quite like that. We couldn't even get to that spot because John was cleaning these guys up and getting them out of there. I mean, I'm, I'm just sharing for you that if you do look at the chains in football and you do look at you, you look at the body of work, which in that example is a game, it's four quarters. But when you when you look at the body of work, since we don't have seasons. In this sport, it's all one moving secular event. I think John should be nominated for the ESPY. Now, if you want to look at what he actually accomplished, and see, that's, a, that's another thing, and I got to be a jerk about that. I hide being a dick by saying I'm critical. 
I'm critical is a nice way. I'm being a dick about it. I get it. But if we're telling the story the way it happened, I mean, there, there, there was a lot of things that night. There was things that, that, that were dangerous to John's career that happened that night. Ronda Rousey lost. She was a 7-1 favorite. 44,000 people live in Australia. Do you know how big that is, what I just said? 44,000 people came to see that fight against Americans. They took two Americans and they sold 44,000 tickets in a different country. Think of that. Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey. They deserve a lot of credit for that. Ronda lost. It was an upset. And not that kick, the bitter in the ass. It wasn't the skill of Holly Holm. It wasn't the game planning. Coach Wink and Coach Jackson. What bit Ronda in the ass that night is the previous five girls couldn't defend themselves for more than a minute. And she was getting them out of there. And her experience and her expectation through living it was this is easy. I have a good frame of reference for how deep I'm going to have to dig because I've done it and I've done it again. I've done it again. I've done it again. And I've done it again. And I have to dig very deep. So when the match turned out to be harder than she thought it was going to be, all of a sudden walking into that straight right was a little easier. All of a sudden dipping and getting head to the kid. It's one of these things. But see, I bring that to you because John Jones, it's, it's real imperative that he understand this. If John Jones thinks that with his time off and then the pull-ups and the creatine, I mean, if he thinks with like the, the, the changing of his body and he kind of sells himself, hey, rest was good for me. And, you know, I got a new team. I'm getting some new advice and I've really grown as a fighter. If he sells himself on that, which would be easy considering the result, he's in big trouble. He's in big trouble. That is not indignant of what happened. John, not only that night, I want to pick on Surreal. I don't kick someone when they're down. Surreal gone is handsome. He's young. He's rich. Got a beautiful record. He's about to main event in his home right in Paris. Surreal gone has everything going his way. He can take a little bit of lumps from old jail. Surreal gone was not the first choice. You guys all know that. Surreal gone was not the second choice. See, that's where it starts to get interesting. So then you go, well, okay, he was the third choice. Mm, are you sure about that? No one's told us that. We know he wasn't the first choice. That was Ngano. We know he wasn't the second choice. That was Stipe. We don't know that he was third. We don't know that somebody else in another, in another didn't get called, didn't get asked, didn't get looked after, and whatever didn't line up, and Surreal had the courage to do it. We, we don't know that he was third. When that fight came out, it was announced on accident, if you'll recall, by T-Mobile through their marketing department. They put out this beautiful billboard. It's very well done and very effective. It was just three hours too early, if you guys recall that. Many of us thought it was an error. Many of us thought it was an error. We saw what was done, and we know what kind of work it takes to, to get that done, and we know the digital artwork, and we know the approval that you need. But Surreal didn't make any kind of sense. So just in that regard, we thought, well, a mistake was made. Those, those two aren't going to fight. I mean, that's true, just to take you back to that day. Surreal had won his previous fight, barely, but he did win it. But he lost the one before that. He, he was one and one in his last two. And 
the match, it's the same, but I'm talking about the ESPY here. I'm not trying to give Surreal a hard time. I'm trying to talk about getting nominated for an ESPY. It doesn't matter what you did. It matters who you did it with. We can all agree on that. Well, not here. They put a belt up. Everybody's kind of forgotten. Most of you needed the refresher I just gave you. Most of you needed me to remind you. He wasn't one, he wasn't two, and we've never been told he was three. We, we know he wasn't one and two, so we assume that he was three. And it's a very relevant point. And when I go back to John needed to understand that match, and this was not a display of I've gotten so much better, neutral, and I'm so good. It wasn't that. Take, for example, the takedown that John Jones had. That wasn't a move. There was nobody more surprised that Surreal Gone, who one year prior had a one year prior had a beautiful stat that came out on ESPN and said he spent zero time on the ground. He had never taken himself there. He'd never fallen down. He'd never been knocked down. He never, the opponent didn't force him into that position. He'd never been on the ground. It was a huge, whoa, we got a kickboxer, a damn good kickboxer, who nobody, all the way to a championship, Surreal was champion. Nobody can take down. And then John Jones goes out and he does it very easily. I mean, I'm just sharing for you, that wasn't a move. That was fear. That was, oh my God, that was fear. Nobody was more surprised to be on top of Surreal in that moment than John Jones, because he knew that wasn't a move. John never planned for that to work. And John was in pretty good position. I mean, I gotta say, he kind of had his hands in a good spot. He's got a natural height. If he gets his shoulder involved, it can lift you and do some elevation things. John was doing that just to change, just to get close. He was just avoiding the strikes. He was waiting for Surreal to move. He was going to come back in. He was going to dip. He was going to go to an elbow. He didn't even mean for it to be a takedown. I bring that to you because to look at that match and go, wow, what a comeback. That would be fair. Whoa, the guy's never been in the division. The guy sat out for three years. And by the way, those aren't three good years. They're three years of hard living. And he came back and captured the championship. That is absolutely amazing. But if you watch the match and you know what you're looking for, there was some deception, which creates for some misconception. I like John for the nomination of the Epsi. I do. I think you'd have a hard time explaining to somebody how he got a nod over Adesanya. But I do like it. To win the SP, I think, and, and, and that's where some of my other points came in. What actually happened that night? Was there actually a conflict? Was there actually resistance? Or was it something else? Before any of you think I'm coming here all high-handed and I'm talking down to Surreal, how do I know these things? How do I know the fear that he had? How do I know that it paralyzes you? How do I know that you're looking for a way out? Because I fought the son of a bitch. The less you know, the less you know. And there's not two athletes that are completely the same. That, that's true. A really great coach, a really great coach will do one of two things. Generally, what great coaches who have found their way to the media will claim that they did is that they got to know their athlete. Generally, they will make that claim. It extremely unfrequently is the truth. But the great coaches out there, right? There's all sorts of guys coaching football. Nick Saban gets covered. By example, 
the really top guys, and they'll rewrite history, same as every business book you've ever read, all of which are completely dishonest. They rewrite history. I knew. Everybody told me I couldn't do it, but I knew if I had this one thing. No, you didn't. You did do a good job of having the courage to go follow that, but you knew nothing. There was no guarantees. And I only share that for you because what a number of the great coaches will do and why why they don't take credit for it and just admit to it, which is they recruit the same type. So they really didn't get to know their whole team. They didn't treat a certain guy this way on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but a different guy Monday through Friday, and a different guy was Thursday only. It's not true. They just say that it is. They know about themselves. I'm good with this kind of a guy. And one of the strengths of Sean Strickland is the less you know. Give you a great example, but Sean Strickland was very competitive and he was very difficult in a very underpromoted and only slightly watched fight against a fairly unknown commodity named Kamara Usman. Did you guys know about that fight? As a matter of fact, until Alex Piera, which I think was a number one contenders match, until that, the last loss Strickland had goes all the way back. Kamar Usman, the day I met Sean Strickland, he was 21 years old and he was 17 and 0. It's a lot of fights. For a guy that can't get any until he's an adult, for a 21 year old to find his way into 17 fights, not to mention he won them all, it's impressive. How did he win all those fights, by the way? How did Sean Strickland win 17 fights? I don't mean physically, what moves did he do? How did he get 17 fights? There's no manager that's out there hustling and working that hard for a guy who's making 1500 bucks on a Saturday. Sadly, that's just, they just want it. That's just not what they do, which means he had to line him up himself. And that's okay. But if he lined him up himself, the time he was 18, the time he was 21, and we acknowledge that there's not any money, then who's his coach? He wouldn't have had a great coach. Coach is taking a percentage. There was no percentage, right? I mean, if you tell me 150 bucks, I'm telling you that's that's gas money. So he didn't have a, a manager helping him. He didn't have a coach looking after him, but he did 17 fights, and he won them all. If he didn't have a coach looking after him, he didn't have a manager left, uh, looking after him. And guys like that are looked at as bait in this industry. You, you ever want to know why you can find a boxer that's 30 and 0? It's because he was looked after, and those 30 guys that he beat up were not looked after. That's exactly how this happens. And now you have a guy that doesn't have a coach sticking up for him, and you have a guy that doesn't have a manager sticking up for him. You have a guy that's all by himself, but he won all 17 fights. How do you do that? That's a lot of matches to win. A lot of matches to get. A lot of matches to weigh in for. A lot of, a lot of hotels to check into. A lot of preparation. A lot of times of telling your mother there's a ticket at Will Call. How did he win them all? And I met him. I met Sean when he was 21 and he won 17 fights. And I think he was the king of the cake champion, he mentioned. And I asked him about those fights. He wasn't sure. I asked him who those guys were and he wasn't sure. And if somebody told you guys that, you would think they were performing. Oh, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know who he was. I don't even know who he is. I'm ready. I'll fight anybody. This was in private. This was not a performance. Sean didn't know that 12 years later, I'd be sitting here discussing it or that anybody would. When I asked him who those guys were, I asked him what their skills were. 
asked him what their pedigree was, asked him what his accomplishment, their accomplishments were, and he told me, I don't know. He didn't know. The less he knew helped him. He didn't know a lot about Kamar Usman when he fought him. He didn't know a lot about Alex Piera. The first guy that Sean ever sat down to study and prepare for the way that you guys would think a professional would do was Jared Cannonier. And the single worst performance Sean has ever had was against Jared Cannonier. A lot of people think Sean won that fight. Thought Sean won that fight. It wouldn't change the fact that it was the worst I've seen him perform. I'm not talking about outcomes here. Sean's performance was timid. I have never seen him be timid. Sean's range was one quarter inch too far back the whole fight, and he knew it was. He was staying out of what we call the danger zone, which is where he lives. But this was a quarter inch back. And it was the first time that he started to feel pressure. Because it was a very difficult fight on the heels of an L in an industry that's very cutthroat. So as a way of being responsible, he went out and he did something he doesn't otherwise do, which is he got to know his opponent, and he came up with a strategy. And for most guys, that would be a pat on the back. Good job. But Sean Strickland is different. And the naiveness, the lack of fear, lack of respect, many of you would say, that's true. It's true. But it's allowed him to be loose. It's allowed him to be playful. It helps his skills to be faster. It keeps his endurance very... You want to know why he never gets tired? Because he never gets worried. You will hear commentators all the time speak about pressure in sport. And they'll tell you who has the pressure. And it could be any kind of a sport. They'll tell you who has the pressure. What the commentator doesn't take the time to do is to tell you why that matters. And largely, it's because they don't know. Our best and biggest and brightest and highest paid commentators in all of sport didn't do sport. And I will only share with you when they identify who has the pressure, but they don't take the time to tell you why. It's because they don't know. And you want to know why pressure matters? Create Pressure creates a chemical release in your brain, much like adrenaline. But it's done in the form of stress, and that stress will fatigue you. I was a college wrestler. I had this explained to me by Chuck Kearney in the year 2000. I only wrestled until 2001. I wish Chuck would have told me this in 1980. You know what he told me? I would wrestle hard every day. And I mean hard. I would lose 8 to 10 pounds. I would just sweat it out. Think about how hard you'd have to work to sweat out 8 pounds, right? Take my shirt off after I could wring it out. And I did. And so did my teammates. And we thought it was a big laugh. And we knew we worked really hard. But then when competition came around on Saturday, we were only asked to do 7 minutes. And we would, but barely. And we wouldn't lose eight pounds, and we wouldn't be dripping wet, and we wouldn't wring our singlets out, and we weren't happy when it was done. We were exhausted. How come we could go 75 minutes in the practice room hard, and we struggled to do seven on Saturday? And the answer was, we introduced to the environment on Saturday, we introduced stress, and it creates a fatigue.
I appreciate that because that's very knowledgeable and educated statement I just made that you're solemnly going to hear. And it's the difference that Sean is now dealing with. Sean is now respecting his opponent. He's now watching his opponents. He's now worrying. What happens? What will my future be like tomorrow if, and these are questions he never asked himself. These are worries and stresses that he has never had to deal with. And now here it is. And the less you know would be helpful, but Sean is in a coaching environment. Sean's at practice. He's at gyms. He has to be there. He has to keep up. He has to read about guys. He has to study other guys. People are coming to Sean as pupils and saying, hey, coach, how do I beat this guy? Sean's having to go watch this guy. He's have to give him a game plan. He's having, he's doing things that he didn't otherwise do, and they're very mature, and they're very responsible. I'm just sharing with you, it's different. The definition of insanity is to do something over and over and expect a different result. Okay, well, the other side of the coin is to do something different. You can expect to get something different. This is different. I don't know that I like it. It's different. And this opponent has all sorts of strong points. Everybody in the UFC does. This opponent has all sorts of strong points that you can point to. If you take the time to go and look for them, if you take the time to show them the respect to strategize for them, I met Sean Strickland. He fought 21 men. Nobody did him any favors. He wasn't supposed I apologize. He was 21 years old. He beat 17 men. He wasn't supposed to be. That's the part he doesn't know. Nobody did him a favor. That's the part he doesn't know. He got brought in to lose. That's the part he doesn't know. He didn't lose because he didn't care and he didn't focus and he went out and he clipped it playful. That is the truth and that is the approach and the ability that Team Strickland had better hope comes with him this weekend. Where does Kevin Lee fit into it, right? I mean, that's the real thing that we want to know over, over here. How's Kevin Lee fit into this? Well, this coming Saturday, welterweight, meaning 170 pounds, Vak Nurenadov, my best attempt. Back in the rented off. That's where Kevin Lee fits in. That's who his opponent is. Kevin Lee's back. Now, this is really, really interesting to me. One, because I am the pundit for all of you that want Kevin Lee information, right? And Kevin Lee had left the UFC. That hurt my feelings. There, there's not a nicer way I could say that. I can't tell you I was mad or I was angry or that I thought it was underhanded because this is a really, really tough business. So I, I, can't, I can't say those things, not in fairness. But Kevin Lee, give me a timeline here. Kevin Lee was out with an injury. Everybody knew that he was injured. And while injured, out of competitiveness, from a competitive drive and nothing else, Kevin Lee took to the internet, which is the greatest form that we have in this sport. From the beginning in 1993 to now. So Kevin Lee went to a huge vehicle in the sport and offered to be flown to Russia to take on a guy that only you hardcore internet fans even knew existed. The guy's name is Islam Makhlchev. 
And Kevin offered to fight him. He offered to put off surgery. This wasn't an act. This wasn't to get credit. This wasn't to look, get, look tough. And quite frankly, I don't, it's not a good idea. I didn't say that it was. I'm telling you accurately what happened. And the word of the knee and the surgery and the fact that that would have to be delayed was out. Leadership said, no, it's not how we do things. Kevin Lee eventually comes back, ends up in a fight with a guy that turned out to be a straight-up badass in a weight class he hadn't competed. Talking about Kevin Lee here. On the backside of an injury and fought his heart out. But it's a game of I touch you and you don't touch me, and he got touched more times than he did the touching. Okay, great. We get up and go home, but I didn't feel like there was anything surprising there. I mean, did you think you were going to see a great performance from Kevin Lee? Does anybody have a great performance their first time in a different weight class? Does anybody have a great performance when they're coming off of an injury? Does anybody have a great performance who's a former title challenger and is now taking on a brand new guy? That's a, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if your ears hear what that means, but there's, that's a situation. That's a situation. Kevin Lee dealt with all of it and he got released. Okay. No opinion. I'm just telling you what happened. So then we fast forward the table a little bit. Kevin Lee's back. He's picked up by an organization known as Eagle, by a guy known as Khabib, at a weight class that a number of guys had called for. They band together, even though they all wanted to fight one another. They still band together. Try to form a weight class called 165 pounds, which I think most of us are, we like that idea, I think. Kevin fights at 165 pounds in a main event opposite the nightmare Diego Sanchez. Diego Sanchez walks out there way less than five seconds into this fight. Diego walks out and kicks Kevin in the knee that just required surgery. I mean, th this is, right? It's a cage fight. Kevin finds a way. He gets his hand raised, and now he's back to weight, and he's going to do something with Eagle at this new weight class of 165. Well, not so fast. The UFC saw the performance. They liked it. They want him back. Great. Yet again, no opinion here is being expressed. I'm sharing a timeline for you, so they bring him back. And he's going to fight at 170 pounds. He could do 170 pounds. I would make no excuse for Kevin Lee, but, but, but he needs to get used to it. And I think that he may be by now. He only did it once. Other people will tell you that he's done it twice. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. The nightmare match was at 165. I'm just reminding you. So he returns to 170. That's great. He's going to take on this gentleman. That's great. This gentleman, it, he's won. It's like 19 in a row, guys. There's a blueprint. It's very simple. And it's very basic, right? Like this, this would be the, the lazy man's approach. But it needs to be done. You can never get around this, which is... Is he a better striker? Or is he better on the ground? Like, that was a big question in 1993, but it still exists in its own mutated form today. And you might think if you're looking at this guy, if he faced a really heavy wrestler, that's going to be a problem. So when I tell you that he lost, it was his second fight ever. When I tell you that he lost, you might think, okay, he ran into that guy that was able to take him down. Well, no, he got, it was on his feet. And a lot of times somebody will go down in a fight on their feet, but you don't have the right representation of who's better on their feet. We see that in MMA all the time with four ounce gloves and with the diversity within setups and strategies. 
It was one of the things that made Adesanya's success so incredible. It's one of the things that made the rise of Piera so doubted so many times. So many times Piera was doubted. He was doubted. You'll get a very confusing, you'll even get a misrepresentation if you read records of fights that are finished on their feet. You just will. It's not the same for the ground. There's not a lot of lucky submissions. There's just not. There's not a lot of lucky takedowns. They exist. But they're rare, and I share for you, we don't yet know what it's going to take to deal with this gentleman. It's a lot. He's very good. He's very skilled. But he's running into a Kevin Lee. I think that's a problem. I think Kevin's a problem for anybody. I think the only way that you're going to get the jump on young Kevin Lee is to put him in a pressure spot that he's not yet ready for, with the lights being too bright, as Stephen A. says. And I don't think that's the spot they put him in. I don't think so at all. I remember the last time there was a guy that was undefeated, had a beautiful record, the whole world was looking at, that had title hopes and aspirations. I certainly don't tease him, but I do remember the guy. His name was Gregor Gillespie, and he didn't get out of the first round with Kevin Lee. And Gregor thought he was going to have to stop the takedown. Kevin Lee was a national finals wrestler. This was the blueprint on Kevin. Kevin kicked him in the mouth. He surprised him. Turned out to be a mixed martial artist. I'm just giving you a history lesson. I'm not sharing an opinion with you guys. It's going to be an interesting fight. Kevin Lee's coming back. You want to know where he fits into it? That's where he fits in. Here's the headline. Francis Sangano signs with PFL six weeks ago. Has there been a change? That's the headline. How would you work backwards from that statement? And it is a little bit difficult because Francis's impact directly, it's hard to know where we're going with that, right? We didn't get the information that we wanted, but we did get the information. I mean, we did get the who, what, when, why, and where. We did. We just didn't like the answer because it all, it starts in 2024, which may or may not be predicated with a boxing match prior, right? Like we did get the five W's. We just didn't necessarily love it. And so I, I am inclined to say with the six weeks that have gone by and you look at the splash, I think you would be misleaded though. Misled. The PFL has done so many interesting things. I mean, they are moving in a very rapid and fast direction that the Francis announcement, as big as that was, well, then they had another one that was really big. They were trying to buy Bellator. Then they had another one that was really big, which is John Jones showed up, went down on the floor and got nose to nose with Ngannou. Then they have a fight, and it turned out they were two buddies, and they didn't give their best effort. There was a clause within the contract that says, regardless of opponent, you will bring your best effort. They threw them both out. Got burgos and collar to look forward now to. I mean, not for nothing. I think that you'd be a little bit misguided if you were negative to the fact that Francis signed six weeks ago, and what's different? I feel like there is something different. I feel like it was impactful, but I feel as though they, they just keep making the right moves. The PFL 
it just keeps making the right moves. PFL and Bellator is very interesting. I had this conversation with Ariel. But I reminisce, right? I did Ariel's show on Monday, and, and the way that works, guys, is when you get done, you then think, oh, I should, I could have said this, and this would have been clearer. This would have been funnier. This would have been more impactful. You just, you just play it through your head, right? You got this narcissist inside of you, and people are watching. You want to go do a good job, but I will share you. As I reflect back on that, Ariel asked me, what do I think do I want it to happen? Now, here's what I don't want to happen, but this is just because I'm a crusty guy that goes back in the sport to his junior year in high school in 1993 in Mobile, Alabama. Like, I've just been... So when there's things that keep repeating themselves, there's certain things that get annoying. When I hear announcers, or even you fans, talking about some guy and how good his footwork is, but you've never, ever, ever explained what that means. Or I'll hear people, including you, talk about this guy's a good athlete, but define it. Like, there's certain things that just annoy me. And one of them is the more places we have, the more competition, and that's better for the fighters. I, I've got to hear that. I hear people say that, and they're proud. They're proud when those words come out. You're one step away when you say that. You're, you're one step away from telling the market, the powers of supply and demand. And I just tell you that because you want to do this business course-wise, you're in the 100 level. You're 18 years old, you're off at a junior college. That'll be the first course you take when the when the university doesn't even respect your knowledge and mind yet. I, I mean, it's a very simplistic approach. And it's a waste of time to hear about it. Now, when you start to get into the 400-level classes, you start to get into a lot more interesting level and sophistication of business. And if you look at the PFL buying Bellator, and this is all an experiment, right? That's why business is, it's so risky. Because nobody knows for sure, but I'll just share with you, if the PFL bought Bellator, if that's the discussion we're taking... I'm confident, and so are you guys, that the PFL brand continues and Bellator does not. The athletes and the personnel and the ideas, I, I get all of that. I get, what, I get what's being absorbed. I just sh share for you, just for thought, to get out of the 100 levels, gets up to the 400 levels, and let's talk about something that hasn't been done before, which is if the PFL takes control of Bellator, Bellator continues as Bellator. What, from a financial standpoint, do you think changes? And I'm just asking. Is the PFL going to do more shows? Are they going to match those Bellator dates? Or are they going to literally buy it, and the first thing they do is cannibalize it, and they're going to have less dates? I mean, I'm just asking. From a monetary standpoint, whether you're selling hard tickets, you're selling distribution, you're selling rights, you're selling merchandise, you're selling... Advertisements, if the first thing that you do is go into a business and then cannibalize it, I, I, I haven't heard of that. So what would be the harm if they did absorb it, they took control, they creative control, could start to make a few changes, maybe do a little cross promotion, you do something along these lines, but you still kept the brand Bellator, which the MMA community knows very, very well. I would assume on its longevity alone, more than... The MMA community knows PFL. What would be wrong with that? 
There's never been a CEO that does that. Believe me, if, if PepsiCo could purchase Coca-Cola, they would stop making Coca-Cola. And you'd have to sit back and go, okay, but let me get a calculator out. Why? Well, we're number one now. We own. No longer, no longer we have to compete with them. No, that's right. You don't have to compete with them. You now own them. Why are you shutting them down? Why would you shut down a brand? Why would you shut down something that's known? Why would you take divisions? Why would you commingle? Like, why, why would you do these kinds of things? There's answers, by the way. I know those answers. I, I could play you both sides of this, but I just share for you when I think about that absorption or when I think about all the moves that the PFL made, that one does stand out for me. I think that it's very meaningful. Like there's zero chance, whether that happens or not, and that is the most likely, but there's zero chance, and we can all agree on this, that PFL buys Bellator, stops PFL, and keeps it Bellator. Like there's just no chance that that would happen. But if you get a calculator out, and you go from any level of metric, go from viewership, you could go to what's known as engagements online, be a very helpful number. You could go to your live gate, the size of the arena, what your attendance are. It'd be very interesting to hear you say, even if you raise the money and you're writing the check, be very interesting for you to explain why that one is getting shut down. I'm just bringing, I'm just bringing that to you. There is nobody that has ever, and I'm very confident, in our lifetimes will ever, outdo what Vince McMahon did. Don't, I don't believe that's going to happen. Vince McMahon took a product that he tried to dupe the world. And they kept their mouth shut. They protected their business. They went from town to town like carnies. The carny example, by the way, it sounds to people like a derogatory. It's not meant to be. Think of a carnival. Do you guys go to those? Think of like a carnival. Look at the 4th of July coming up. Carnivals are all over the place. But think of a carnival and think about the games that you go to and they got the great big stuffed animal bear and none of the games work. I'm shooting the basket five times before I put my money down. I sink every one of them. Now I can't get one in. Do you guys know why? Do you, do you know the basketball game trick? There's just a board they put behind it. It's as simple as that. So you got the basketball hoops up there. You're shooting them to get the great big bear. The guy that works there shows you, hey, look, hey, this is a piece of cake. He takes one hand. He hits the backboard. It goes right in. He sinks two, three shots. You go, yeah, I'm a college basketball player. Here's my 10 bucks. And every ball, you hit the backboard, and it goes bouncing off. Well, the guy has a guy. And there's a board. There's this board that comes up to the hoops that you can't see behind. So when it's his turn to shoot, the guy drops the release. It's not there. It's a normal backboard. When it's your turn, he throws this up, makes it bounce off. I'm not trying to ruin that game for you. They all have a catch. So the only way that this works, the only way you can bring money and have an attraction and have a business, the only way you can do it is if the people that have been revealed the secrets protect the business. And Vince firmly believed this. And then he took a stand in 1989 under oath and the person asked him flat out, is this a competition or is this pre-rehearsed? And people like to use the word fake. Fake wasn't the right word. Resistance was the right word. Is your opponent resisting 
you, yes or no. And, and I, I only bring that to you because he believed it would sink the business. He was under oath. He had to answer the question. He answered it and thought he was going to walk out of that courtroom. A poor man. But he found a way. And he found a way to pivot. And now he, he hides in plain sight. No longer calls it the WWF, calls it entertainment. No longer will say I'm in the wrestling business, he'll say I'm in the entertainment business. Will no longer call the wrestlers athletes, he'll call them superstars. He hides in plain sight and sells out arenas. WrestleMania's two days. It's shocking the numbers that they do. It's shocking the emotion that they can garner. I just share for you that I, I don't know that anyone will come along that will ever see that's in front of Vince. And I don't think anyone of you are going to argue with me. If you try to get down to dollars and cents in checkbooks, you, you definitely aren't going to win that one, right? It's rumored, I don't believe this rumor, it's rumored that Vince, who bought WCW, it's rumored that he bought it before you guys know. When Vince bought it and absorbed it and shut it down, that is what the world is told is when he purchased it, that that is what he did. That he bought it, he absorbed it, and he shut it down. That's what the world believes he did. But there is a rumor, with very good reason, to believe that Vince had taken an ownership share in that company years before. But he didn't shut it down. He didn't bring the athletes over. And he didn't start doing co-promotes and co-mingling and trying to get one name out there. He kept them both. And he had competition. He had the Monday Night Wars. The very minimum, Vince sent in operatives, for sure. Vince had people that were loyalists that were on the other side. But I don't want to go down that road with you uh, completely and get, get in a back and forth. I don't want you lost on it. I want to just bring up, if we acknowledge that Vince has done it better than anybody here, let me give you guys another great example. Have you heard of something called Apple? I'm sure you have. Apple, when I was growing up, was a laughing stock. We hated apples. The poor schools are who had to have apple. When the, when the fancier, well-funded schools got done with their computers, instead of taking them to the dump, they would take them to poor schools. And those were the apples. And then the kids on the other side of the tracks, where I grew up, we had Microsoft. Microsoft was king. Not even, not even close. And Apple was on its way out of business. Apple was just about to get closed up. This is just prior to Steve Jobs and a lot of the great stories that you guys have heard. But somebody infused it with $8 million, about $8 million of stock in one day. That might not impress you now. That would be, I'm talking about 1987. I was talking about, you know, roughly in that time. I'm talking about an equivalent of close to $100 million. Somebody put in, it saved the company, it changed the company. That somebody was Bill Gates, the owner of Microsoft. Bill Gates put the money in that Apple needed to stay alive. And you know why he did it? Because he knew competition was good. He knew it was good for him. He knew he would perform better. He knew his staff would perform better. He knew his staff would take their eye off the ball and their foot off the gas if they didn't have to continue to fight these guys. It's a very interesting concept. I just share for you the idea of getting it and then shut it down. How are you going to explain that? I'd like to hear. By the way, Please don't think you have to answer. I know the answer to that. I'm sharing with you on the other side. And if you are going to do away with dates and you are going to do away with venues and you are going to do with uh, the distribution of some of these contracts and merchandise, if you're going to do away with those things, then you're attempting to tell a bank that you're going to buy a business and your grand plan is to, to make it smaller. There's not a bank out there that's going to loan on that. Not that I've ever heard of. 
So you keep them all, you keep the dates, you try to do this. Oh, okay, that's great. Well, how do you choose which brand you go with, right? I mean, it's, it's one of these things. If you're the CEO of Pepsi and you buy Coke, you don't have to shut down Coke. That can be the one that flourishes. It's an interesting concept. And when somebody buys a business, again, for, for your 100-level guys, and I'm not trying to condescend, but there's some things that are very annoying to me. And if you're out of your lane, please don't. When you buy a business for the 100-level guys, they're going to think they're purchasing an idea. They can get to the marketplace that provides either a good or a service and make sure it's profits that exceeded expenditures. That's what they think they're doing. And they'll say that and they'll feel proud about it like they were a smart guy. When somebody buys a business, what they're buying is contracts. That's it. Now, that is going to be contracts for personnel. Your marketing department will have a value that the bank will equate into the loan. Your PR team, who your CEO is, who your board of directors is, the way you've got it structured, who you've got under contract, who you can have for a meaningful period of time. Now, that extends, of course, that goes to the fighters and so on and so forth. I know people that have studied MMA, and they believe that Dana White paid $70 million for pride to get the athletes. There's athletes that have come over and said, I'm one of the reasons that, that Dana bought it. Huh? Dana gave $70 million away to get your absorbent contract that he, he's going to, why? Why? Were we not selling out? Were we not having numbers? We're not having sponsorships? We need a Jew? I mean, I'm just asking. We, we need a Jew? What are you talking about? That's not what happened. But for you to understand what did happen, you got to look into it a little bit deeper. And I think as far as the concept of the PFL and Bellator goes, I think it's a very fascinating one. And nobody's hidden from this. The PFL is not denying this. Bellator is not denying this. Generally, these things get real quiet. Like, that's part of the game. And that's what, not what's happening. It, it's out here for us to see. And I think that perhaps, a little bit of a stretch by me, but I think perhaps that's because it lends to the idea they're not going to absorb to shut one down. You could have two flourishing events. You got, you got a little bit of ability now to co-promote with the talent should you want to. You've got incredible teams and incredible personnel. You've got offices in all the right locations. It just doesn't seem when you're in the business of buying contracts, like if the first thing you're going to do is go tear up a whole bunch of those contracts... It's not my guess. I've been liking a lot of really impressive moves lately, and my guess is, should this play out, this is going to be another one of them. All right, guys, that's it for today's program. Thank you for listening and leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts, like this one from Jimmy, who tells me that Patty called... Mr. Water Bottle, Mr. Hand Sanitizer, yeah, Jimmy, yes, Jimmy, I swear to goodness, I got this from my producer, I haven't read this till right now, Jimmy, I knew I was wrong, I've been saying Water Bottle, and I've been trying to convince myself on Water Bottle, inside, I felt like I was wrong, and I was, that's what it is, it was the Hand Sanitizer, I sincerely appreciate that, Jimmy. All right, guys, enjoy your week, and I've had it with you all. Until Tuesday, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.